everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck. Sorry if I sound a bit off. We spent about the first 15 minutes since we got here fervently <laughs> insulting our music taste, and I think our podcast recorder, Brent, just tore my heart out a bit, but we won't, we won't get into that. Andrew was ready to jump off the roof, almost. <laughs> almost. I was about to smash. I was about to smash my head in the door, but that's a tangent for another time, and who are you, person? What's your I- name? I have been your co-host for what four episodes now? What's your name? Elio Stante. I, so. I was hope I want you to say the name so people will believe it. That's all. Anyways, weird start to the episode, but again, we're Sanchek. We're a rock rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. And today, oh, oh, I'm very excited for today's episode. Like this, this, this might be the one I'm most I was most looking forward to. We are talking about the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Jello Biafra. Or, according, he was actually born Eric Reed Boucher, but that's a really stupid name. So we're going to call him Jello Biafra and never mention that name again. Because, <laughs> of course, the name Jello is much better. Well, let's face it. Well, no, it's, 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 it's it sounds, Jello Biafra sounds more punk than Eric Reed Boucher. Yeah, it does. Okay. So that's why it's better. But anyways, so. When 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 me and Elio were first introduced, because I didn't really know him before we started doing this podcast, we had no idea who each other were. No, I I, I wasn't sure like if he was even a real person when Dave mentioned. So like, someone actually wants to do a podcast with me. Wow, but uh, just I, I was surprised because I, I my understanding you really didn't know a lot about punk, but you actually did know something about Jello Biafra, the Dead Kennedys, and Lard. So before we start uh, going in into it. What, before we kind of had had you d- dive into some of his work, what was your knowledge and impression of him before we started this episode? I had no idea who Jello Biafra was because really? I never really looked into the Dead Kennedys or Lard too much. But I knew of uh, the lawsuit from Frankenchrist. Oh, you were? That album. I didn't know about that that lawsuit. And then I also knew Jello Biafra because there's a, a rapper, DJ, I, producer, Cage, who Jello Biafra shows up on oh, really? one of his albums, Grand Old Party Crash. Where's this? Uh, I think this is mid-2000s. Okay. Jello Biafra essentially plays George W. Bush in Cage's song. <laughs> that, and that uh, sounds like and it. it's, it's a pretty funny song. It's pretty good. But that's pretty much where I knew yeah. him from. So that uh, was that was like the extent of to, to kind of go off that. I know I um I know he did do a song on with Ice T called Free, I think it was called Freedom of Speech and that was the song I I don't know if you I think he collaborated with the lyrics or maybe he did like the intro for him I'm not sure but um obviously that was in the late 80s and that was around the time of the PMRC and as you mentioned the Frankenchrist Child which we will get to later uh, but. Yeah, so obviously that was a big thing. What I do want to say is, and I think we kind of, me and Elliot kind of both agree, we don't want to spend too much talking about the music of the Dead Kennedys, as even though that is a very important part of his career, a lot has been said about that. And also, let's, it's for me, he has such an interesting life and a really great career outside the Dead Kennedys. Like, for me personally, his material outside the Dead Kennedys upped with like the quality of the Dead Kennedys music. So, I, I do kind of want to focus about that because of the Dead Kennedys. That part of his career isn't really focused on. So that's I think that's where kind of where we're at. Would you? Yeah, I, I agree because I think he's also said that he's 
moved on from the dead oh, Kennedys yeah. pretty much because he's uh, he hate. Yeah, I, I think I read somewhere that he hates reunions and it's just a cash grab yeah, at this point. Yeah, that and just but also but he and the members hate each other now. Yeah, I mean that's that's not the reason I I I'm saying like let's like, yeah just sort I, of obviously skim not. Them. But it's just like, because that's everybody knows. Yeah. So them. not that we won't talk about it, obviously, but like uh, well, but just it's just kind of maybe quicker. So um, so what was his so. Dead Kennedys, they started out, what was it, like 79? 70. Yeah, it was yep, 78. He responded to an advertisement in 78. Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, before then, I know he's kind of funny. So he he kind of been brought up, you know, in the Denver area, and he had moved to California, I think, for school, but among other things. Uh, but his, his, a lot of his music was that he actually grew up in the late 60s. A lot of his music taste was developed in the late 60s. Uh, I think the story he always tells that his parents were like flipping through radio stations trying to get him to shut up when he was like six or seven. And they accidentally landed on a rock radio station. And then it was like he said, I was hooked just like that. And, you know, he started you know, really getting into Creedence Clearwater Revival, Steppenwolf. I think he'd mentioned the 13th Floor Elevators, Lou Oyster Cult. So that's kind of a lot of where he was getting his music taste from but um but by the time but yeah he was like really entrenched i think in punk music by the time the dead kennedys he joined the dead kennedys and yeah um pretty much from the beginning everything up something and this is indicative not just for the dead kennedys but for jail career and i don't know if you notice this that it was almost entirely shrouded with controversy I, when I was like actually looking at just the songs that show up on yeah. the first, just just on the first Dead Kennedys album, you have <laughs> you have "Kill the Poor," "I Kill Children," <laughs> like just those two songs alone. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this, yeah, this is the guy. But but so here here's the thing, and here's the thing with controversy. He's not like um, he's not a psychopath. No, he's not like you know. Um, yeah, do you sound like DJ Allen controversy? <laughs> Thank you, Brent. Or like, uh, I I don't want to go to. This is a weird extreme to go to, but like a Chris Brown type of controversial. He's a head. He most most of the time, no, he isn't. He kind of is, but not like. Oh, jealous. Uh, he a lot of a lot of the controversy surrounds because he had such radical political opinions, and they expressed that in like this crazy, these dark human rays ways with lots of satire. That and. The the lyrics instead of the lyrics sort of being like a critique on stuff, the lyrics were like a first person point of view in all the songs. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like he was like speaking that way mm-hmm. instead of it being like, oh, I'm like talking about this. I am this. So I think like that's also where some people got the impression that he was like some sort of. Psychopath yeah, or he something. did have a lot of weird. If you look, ever look at live performances of him, he does have a lot of um, crazy stage antics and whatnot. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see up some people get it. But when you're really looking at like, I kill children. If you, if you want to go on to there real quick, obviously he's not endorsing the murder of children. No. Like he, like I, I think I remember seeing like a really like from like the, I think the early '80s, like an interview with him, and he someone actually brought that song title up to him, and he's like, well, when you look at that, like that that song kind of dissects like, okay, why would someone who actually kills children do it. You know, I think it would, the song opens up with like, God told me to skin you alive or something. So, you know, it's like obviously maybe religious or just because he is kind of a psychopath or he just likes killing. I don't, 
uh, I don't know, but obviously that's kind of the thought process. And then I previously mentioned satire. Kill the Poor, I think, is an excellent example of satire because obviously they're not endorsing killing the poor, but uh, they're talking about people, the rich people up in, you know, higher shots of society, maybe Republicans or whatnot who say it. Yeah, by the way, again, if, if we didn't... If we didn't alienate enough people from last week's episode, we're, politics is not going away here, folks. So we're only going to do it further. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but with that, you know, a lot of those people like, OK, we'd rather just not deal with the poor. So obviously he took that to the extreme and said, well, let's just kill them all with the neutron bomb. It doesn't do a lot of property damage, but it kills a lot, lot, lot of them. And I really like the line where he says what uh, – Jane Fonda, something like Jane Fonda convinced the liberals, so it's okay. I love that line. <laughs> something, well, it's not the exact line, but that's it. So, yeah. Uh, what, what, do you, what, what do you think of their use of satire? Um, I, I think that going through his whole discography in the process leading up to this episode, I think that in terms of of like lyrics and everything, I think Jello Biafra is like one of the best that like I've ever heard mm. just because the, the lyrics like say exactly what he wants to say. Yeah. But it's not so it's, it's not done in a way that's really gimmicky or cliched no. in some way. They're, they're all really clever. Yeah. They're all really clever and really smart. And he makes allusions to history and even artwork. I think it's in a, I think it's in a DOA song that's, Later, he references like Charge of the Light Brigade or something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned that. So, um, jump ahead a little bit in the timeline, you know, for just to make this point. I, I remember when I was listening to Plastic Surgery Disasters, the song mm-hmm. Riot. Um, I, I, of course, I, I think I remember the I, I love the line, it repeats it quite a bit. Uh, tomorrow, we're homeless, but tonight's it's 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 a blast. You're obviously yeah. referencing, I was like, okay, rioting. You think a lot of people, punks, are like, yeah, riots, but no, he wasn't really saying that. It's like, okay. You can say that now, but you realize you are you guys are doing a bunch of unnecessary necessary damage that's gonna like like I said leave you guys home. It's gonna have a lot of negative consequences. But I remember one of the lines in there was like, it, I thought this was he didn't directly say it, but it was so subtle, but it was great. He had something like, um, we we see the riot squads come up, so we turn around and we do damage to our town or something. It's like, wow. I kind of I kind of understood what he was trying to say there. It's like. The police, and maybe this is a jump in logic on my point, he's trying to say that you know, police are trying to get people to do damage to other things, obviously not attack them, or fight against themselves rather than the government, which I thought was like, it's just it's subtle in there, but it's brilliant. I think he's really, a, to me, maybe, maybe I'm overstating this, but I think he is a masterclass with, with, with words. Oh, absolutely. For my favorite band, Greg Raffin and Brett Gruitz are the only people who I would think could be better lyricists. I, I think... Jill offers she's fantastic, so mm-hmm. glad you agree. <laughs> um, but be, even even before they released the first album, which I, I always thought Fresh Fruits was released in 79. I was wrong. It's 1980. I'm glad I do research. I've been saying that wrong forever. I feel really stupid. But uh, but in 79, so, so I, th- I don't know if the, if the murder happened in 79 or 78. The that candy is based out of San Francisco, so if anyone doesn't know, and I will keep this story very brief, but um, the San Francisco mayor and along with uh, another pers- political— the, One of the supervisors, yeah, Harvey Miller. One of the supervisors Milk. was mur- murdered by a guy named Dan White, all the police. And I'm going 
a lot of this is based off of what Jello has said about the event, so it's obviously kind of skewed. It was but. 78 that Harvey Milk yeah, and, thank and you. the mayor was assassinated. Yeah, so so a lot of this is skewed from Jelly Biafra's point of view, but like according to him, a lot of police officers were like in favor of Dan White. You know, they were were wearing T-shirts saying, "You know, free Dan White." They'd bring him gourmet food to 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 the to the prison where he was staying. So because the have... important point of background that you missed was that Dan White was a former police officer. Oh yeah, that's right. This yeah. is why this is why the it's it, yeah it was it was appearing that the police were. In fate, were on the side of Dan yeah. White after Dan White had yeah, murdered. Yeah, that was the whole thing. I'm sorry, assassinated because it's political. The mayor of San Francisco yeah. and Harvey. And Miller. it was just funny because he he knew exactly that where, where the window would you know obviously where the window was and that it would be open during that time of day because obviously he had he had a position up in government and when he was refused he kind of went a bit murderous and uh, um the the trial itself. Guarded a fuck ton of controversy because what and I swear to God that this is true. This part is true. Uh, they they he they his his I guess his lawyers um, do something with now that has been dubbed the Twinkie defense because what they had said was oh he had something in his head and I think they were talking about like oh the sugar you know he ate a lot of Twinkies before before this and the sugars get something crazy in his head and then he just kind of went like wow. And they decided, yeah, let, the most rational thing to do is to climb into, like, a three-story window and shoot the mayor of San Francisco dead. And, yeah, and it actually kind of worked because it bumped him down to a manslaughter charge. Only served, I think, he was only sentenced seven years or something. Seven or eight he years. He was charged. I think he was sentenced to seven years, but after five, he got parole. Yeah, yeah. So. Something like that. Yeah, and actually, they have a, the Dead Kennedys have a song called I Fought the Law. And it talks about this, and it was—it's a, the Clash. And the, the most famous version is by the Clash, but it was actually originally done by some like '60s garage group. And then, um, they kind of just reworked the lyrics for this. Honestly, for me, I've always said that you can change a few of the words in the song, and it fits exactly to like the George Zimmerman case from a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. so that's why I still like it. But the so, reason why I bring—sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, you go, you go. So the only reason I bring that up is to put context for the 1979 mayoral election where the one Jella Biafra at there was in the Dyke Kennedys at this point ran for mayor and you want and I assumed you did research you know one of the people that he ran against yeah it was uh Diane Feinstein who is now California's senate one of California's senators two things first of all Della Biafra running against public running for public office against Diane Feinstein has to be one of the has to be the greatest piece of rock trivia I've ever heard in my life. It's great. It's it's pretty cool. And second of all, Della Biafra ran for senator against Diane Feinstein today. Would you vote for Biafra or Feinstein? Uh, I don't know. In fact, you don't even know. No, no. That's, uh, that's iffy. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I like Jello, but there was a. There was some stuff that he was saying, like, I've, yeah, I, he he can he, even he can be like too left for me sometimes. Like, not, not to say he's like radical. He's kind of radical, but in the sense, like, okay, you can't be. This can't be true. What you're telling me? Yeah, because there was there was something that he said that before he chose to ran, when he chose to ran for mayor, it was that the guitarist or somebody had joked, "Oh, you should just run for mayor." And then he wrote he, his platform on a napkin. on a napkin, and like, <laughs> yeah, some, some there was some. 
pretty outlandish. He was a joke candidate. He was a joke candidate. There's yeah. no if ands, or buts. So, uh, but that being said, he did actually have some like. So yeah, obviously the stuff like having cl- having people dress up in business people dress up in clown suits. Um, yeah. Uh, he wanted to erect a statue of Dan White and then have like. Fenders, so like eggs and tomatoes, so people can throw it at them. That's that was great. actually pretty clever. I, 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 I liked that one. Uh, I think he was actually, I think he like, I think there was like Diane Feinstein at one point was like doing like some public service as like some sort of campaign to sweep the sidewalks. And then Taylor Piafra grabbed like a vacuum and started vacuuming leaves <laughs> off her lawn. That's good. That was great. That's pretty clever. But like, but there was actually some like some stuff he actually kind of takes seriously. Like, um, I know the, the big one he always brings up is he wanted like, um, police officers to become like public officials and have them be, go against like reelected every few years. That was a really interesting one because it was the because you actually see that one kind of being implemented. Yeah, it was the one that it, it was that police officers would be elected in the communities that they patrol. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. So yeah, I love see that one's kind of fun. But yeah, no. But even though he was a jail candidate. He actually got a lot of support. Like there were people walking. Like the two big signs everyone remembers from then was like. Like like Jello be off like you better win or I'll kill myself was one of them, and then one of the other ones like what if he does win? <laughs> just just that fact <laughs> that alone. Was, yeah yeah. That was, that so was he actually won third overall. And that no, was fourth. No third. I I read third. I, I thought it was fourth. Fourth or third. Okay. Point is it was out of ten and he got fourth or third. That's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. And then good. Diane fi- ultimately won, and then she's yeah. she's she's still doing well for himself for herself. Unfortunately. <laughs> The the look on Andrew's face was pure disgust and part rage. <laughs> yes, but if you want to, so it's funny. Fresh Fruits, the album cover that that the image was from the riot that ensued after the Dan White. After riots. Dan White was convicted and his sentence was yeah so so low or little whatever it is yeah um, people rioted in the streets and then that's the photo they used for Fresh Fruits. Yeah. So question question I want to ask you. Because uh, for anyone who doesn't know, um, the single versions of Holiday in Cambodia and California Uberalis, probably their two biggest songs, uh, the, the, there's there's two different versions. The single versions, which is the one off of Give Me Convenience, yep. Give Me Convenience or Give Me Death, and then the one off of Fresh Fruits. Which ones do you like better? Uh, I never like edited versions of songs. Well, they weren't so. edited. They were just re-recorded. Well, I thought that the single version of Holiday in Cambodia, you missed like that bass... That eerie little intro with yeah, like the guitar yeah, the, scratches and the, the intro in the was bass. removed. So, but the but I think the single versions were released first and it was re-recorded for Fresh Fruits. So they actually oh. they actually added that. But f- 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 to me, I I I I am kind of okay, I'm okay with the um the the Fresh Fruits version of Cambodia. I do prefer the single version because I think it has just a little more atmosphere with the production. But I actually I but I think the atmosphere is completely removed with the re-recorded version of California. I much prefer the single version. Because I'm I think trying, the productions on that's much better. I'm trying to remember what the differences are because like California Uber out the, the Fresh Roots was the one that was raw, faster, and a little more angry. Um, okay, I like that version more. Okay. You do? Yeah. But I I, I kind of like the slower one where he has kind of like the, the, the vocals. I like the atmosphere. It's weird. I know that's weird to say about a punk song. It's one of the few ones I'll say that about. But I love that song. So good.
Anyways, I told, told we're gonna try to not stick on the deck kindness too very long. Yeah, so other points, real quick. They recorded uh, Pull My Strings in 1980. I like a. Did you read about this? No. So this is actually kind of funny. Uh, in, in 1980, the Dead Kennedys were asked to perform at a Bay Area Music Awards. I did hear about this. Yes. So, so they were they're asked they wanted some new wave flair or something, and of course they're a punk band, not a new wave band. So they're like, all right, we'll do that. And so they were scheduled to play California Uberalis. But then they started playing Pull My Strings, which is a song essentially making fun of New Wave and just rock radio at the time. The, and the, the music industry. Yeah. But there's just one problem. Is my big enough? Is my brain small enough for you to make me a star? And I like the fact that this group that asked the Dead Kennedys to play probably did zero to little research. To just none. They did no, no research, research on us. who these people were or what they And they, and they, and they came about. in like wearing like plain white shirts and they had like dollar signs painted on it. And when it's come from the play, they pulled ties off so they'd make a money side. And um, the, the, some of the lyrics were like, I'm tired of self-respect. I can't afford a car. I want to be a prefab superstar. That's like how it opens. One of the choruses is like, is my big enough if my brain small enough for you to make me a star that's Damn. a great line and my favorite is a cl play on the song my sharona they did drool 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 my payola referring to the payola scandal of like the oh, 50s it's great it's a great song it's a great song would you agree with me that uh plastic surgery disasters is their best album um so i know brent said frankenchrist i want to know what you, what do I, you think i think i think uh Frank and Christ are their first album. Really? I really like. I, I love. I, 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 I really I love like all three a lot. But I, I don't know. I, I think. I think they just had like the most hardcore. I think they really. They did a lot of hardcore, but still had some experimentation in there. Mm. Enough for me to like think. Yeah, that's the best one. Uh, but then yeah, Frank and Christ was a bit of departure. That was more almost like post punk in a sense. It was, it was a little more different than their other stuff. But that's not what's most notable of Frank and Christ. Yes, the, so, the addition of... An insert by an H.R. Giger. It's been dubbed Penis Landscape. Why is it called Penis Landscape, Elio? Because the artwork <laughs> by Giger, um, <laughs> it is a bunch of penises inserting into vaginas. It's just a... I, I, was, was, try, I was trying to think of a way to say it politely more than saying it's a bunch of penises and vaginas... Well, that's what it. Well, that's what it appears to be. That is, it's it's an oppression. It's, it's been dubbed an impressionist painting. Some people said that all they see is brute vegetables. If that's what you see, I'm glad you still have your innocence. But you know, 
So that's the that uh, so that to you is the most notable uh, so, 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 so thing the, about the, this. The, the, well, let, let's explain further because yeah. that 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 alone is not the, what's notable. So the story goes again. This is all from Jella Biafra. Um, uh, some mom and like her 13, 14 year old daughter decided to buy Franken Christ for their uh, for mom's son, girl's brother, whatever. So they they bought it. And they brought it home. For some reason, they wanted to check to make sure it was okay. This part's a little weird. But um, pretty much, and they, they pulled it out, and they saw the insert, and like, oh, this is obscene. And so since this was the height of the paranoia, doing the PMRC and music censorship was on an all-time high throughout in the mid-'80s, instead of, like, just returning it, they brought it to the police. I thought it was that they contacted, like, the California Attorney General yeah, and, like, some police, other, like, local Attorney General. prosecutor or so, something like that. Yeah, so they, they they contacted legal authority, and they were like, okay, so they they raided like the record pressing plant that it was printed at. They raided Biafra's home, and he's spoken at lengths about all this. Um, there's actually a really good um, spoken word because he's done a lot of spoken word stuff. I don't, it's not really too important what we're talking about today, but uh, on one of his. Uh, can't remember the name of the spoken word album, but there's there, there's like this 45 minute um, piece he. That's called talk. Uh, no, tales from the trials. He goes at length explaining it. I highly recommend it. It's really, really interesting. Um, I mean, really, just treat it like a podcast. Uh, just when you get the time. But, um, but yeah. So they raided his home. They raided the record pressing plant. Um, they're getting a bunch of stuff, you know, from like alternative tentacles, which is his labels, the, the, those pressings, and then so they eventually found copies of the Frankenchrist down. They realized, oh. That's what they're doing. And so they had a whole big trial from it, and there was a bunch of goofy shit happening, talking about like, how obscene is this album. We should, this should be banned. It was a really, they were trying, they were picking on a little guy and trying to send a message to other people. It's like, hey, follow the PMRC's guidelines or this shit will happen to you. I have to reply to uh, Rabbi Cooper. I don't like... Uh everything that comes out in music today either. I mean, I don't necessarily even agree with everything on Ice-T's record, but, I'm, but, I, but I've collaborated with him on the new album, on the opening traps, track, Freedom of Speech. But say I was a father and my kid brought home something I really, really objected to, like a, uh, a skinhead record or a yeah, toy Uzi or <laughs> even uh, a Guns N' Roses record with those lyrics on it. I would not immediately go crawling to the phone to call the cops or call Tipper Gore. I would not put my kid in a mental hospital for the kind of music they listen to. I would not send them to some deprogramming center, blame it on the music. What I would do is sit down with the kid and say, okay, you spent your own money on this. Why? What does it mean to you? Why do you like it? Is it the tune? Is it the rhythm? Is it that cool bass player? Or what is it? But, um, well, not, let me finish here. Let me finish. But tell me why you like it and I'll tell you why I don't like it. I think the most evil part of the PMRC and people like Tipper Gore and Jesse Helms is they play on the fears of parents who are too chicken to talk to their own kids. Uh, it was a really big of a scare that, tactic. That's like not quite it because there were obscenity laws in California. And yeah, that's, was, well, that's why they tried to get oh, on there was There was obscenity laws, and then there's also laws that were for, like, um, and, like, like endangerment of minor, 
laws. Yeah. And so, like, something that is, like, harmful to a minor. So, so yeah, I, I know that's what they're trying to pin him off of, but if you, can, if you listen to him talk about it and just kind of, like, a lot of the stuff that's happened there, that was, this was the first time, I, it, again, this is from Biafra, he said this is the first time someone's been put on for making obscene music, making obscene album cover, whatever. But the whole thing about that, I mean, the, the, a lot of the rhetoric that was coming out from that courtroom, um, yeah, they were trying to pin it on obscenity, but they're also trying to target music. Because I, I know he's brought up a quote before from like a newspaper saying that Tipper Gore, who's big figurehead of the PMRC at the time, that she would have liked to take credit for the trial. So a lot of so yeah, so, you, so you're you're not wrong, but um, but part of it was to try to the prevailing theories that they were trying to target use these guys as an example, and they were like, no, we're not going to let this happen. I can understand that, but there is a fair argument that yes. the painting by Geiger is borderline. Well, I mean, a, it's not a. I, it's not. I think obscene, they did have. I they guess, did have a warning on the back, is, if I'm not mistaken, and it, it was a smart ass Jello Biafra warning, of course. But there was a yeah. warning saying this, this this album contains a painting by H.R. Geiger could be considered extreme and vulgar to some people. Life is that way sometimes, is what it's written. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then, if, and then I guess if you don't know who Geiger is, you kind of yeah. have to expect very, what, phallic paintings all the yeah. time? Yeah. So, again, but it was all about, you know, free expression. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think there's a point what they were trying to target for. No, no, absolutely. For. Like, this was, this was a free speech trial, in my opinion. At this point, the, the this trial was like one of the big catalysts for the Kind of used to like, yeah, let's just let's just be done with this. Because weren't they almost broke? Like all of they, them were pretty much broke they, they at this like, point. Re- yeah, and they were they were like, from my understanding, the the the, uh, the, the, the bad blood between them hadn't really come to fruition. Uh, that actually doesn't happen until about a decade f- from this point. Yeah. But but the dead, uh, but from my understanding, they were just kind of like just kind of like just so disconnected with what the hardcore punk music had become at that point. They were just like. Ah, well, we'll just kind of let this be. And again, the trial, the whole trial, and GLB Officer had to take a year to try to sort all that out. It was yeah, just warm out. Yeah, yeah. So, what's what happened? Then he started doing spoken word. That's kind of came back. But then he just kind of started going on a slew of collaborative albums. I, I didn't want you to listen to all of them because we only have so much time to talk about. There but, are a lot of them. So, but uh, most notable ones from the mid 90s Mojo Nixon, uh, Late '80s, early '90s was yeah um, with a punk band called No No Means No, and the one and the, for a classic album, so we won't spend too much time before right now was down with Canadian punk legends DOA. The the album is called Last Scream of the Missing Neighbors. This is like great. I love this album. This is one of my favorite things Biafra has ever done. Not a bad song on that album. No, well, we gotta get out of this place. It's kind of boring, but. No, that that whole album. Oh yeah, that is the last. Song. Is that the last? Song no, no, no. Last song is Full Metal Jack Off. That okay, song's that, great. Yeah, that's really the good. second to last song is. Okay, we can talk about this later. Let's... Yeah. So, but yeah, we'll give it that later. But that record was great. Yeah. But around this time, uh, there's a industrial metal band called Ministry that was on the rise. Uh, Al Jurgensen was a part of that. Um, that's obviously his band and. JLB was like, hey, let's, let's, he really wanted to do a collaboration thing with them. And so they did. And they formed a band called Lard. Law, I love Lard. They are great. Very good. So they have, they've, they've released so three th- albums, right? Or two, one. Two albums, one EP, one single. There you go. So they, they had an album, like, was it The Power of Lard? That was the EP. 
Yeah. Um, and then, 70s Rock Must Die. That was the single they did before they broke up. And then it was the full-length album is Pure Chewing Satisfaction. They have two full-lengths. One, the first one's, oh, what's the first one's called? Oh, this is bad. Uh, Last Temptation of Reed. I was, think, I, I was thinking the title. I didn't want to say it. Last Temptation of Reed. Then it was Pure Chewing Satisfaction. That was okay. later on. Obviously, that's the one I kind of want to talk about because... I think Pure Tune Satisfaction. That one's the better out of the two because if you listen to some of the songs from uh, Last Temptation of Reed, the lyrics are kind of all over the place. Like, he's not making a clear point. Like, from the yeah. few times. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I love the song Fork Boy, but my God, I don't know what he's trying to I say with that song. couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it was like, it was like, what is it? Mate Spawn Died. It's a great title. Uh, it's, it's a good song. It's like, okay, you, I think you're talking about reproductive rights. I think you're talking about women's rights. What are you talking about? I don't know. But, that was in his abstract phase. Yeah. <laughs> Pure Junior Satisfaction. That's a great album. Yes. And that was the, I think that was the album that we talked about when we first started talking to each other that I mentioned yeah. Lard. And I was like, this is the I, album. I that sent I you know. a picture of, because I have it on vinyl. Yeah. I absolutely love that record. There, War Pimp Renaissance, Generation Execute, uh, Faith Hope Treachery. Sidewinder, uh, I want to be a drug sniffing dog. dog. I'm about to say that. I love those songs. Why do, why do you why do you like Paul Lard? I like the fact that it, I really there's a part of me that really likes industrial bands. Like there's a, there's a period of like Nine Inch Nails that they were sort of in that industrial band yeah. kind of sound that I I really like the way that it sounds. And then yeah. like the guitar uh, in any Lard song is it's heavy, punchy. Like it, so it's good. so much power behind them. Yeah, and then I think honestly, vocally, this might be, especially on Pure Tune Satisfaction, might be Biafra's best performances. It is really good. It's like he's great. He's really powerful, especially in Warp and Renaissance. The way he just goes, I so he's, I, I don't want. I'm not gonna try to do it, but the way he just belts out those lyrics are oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, again, lyrics are as good as ever. I love love the lyrics that I want to be a drug-sniffing dog. Essentially, the whole crux of it is like everyone, like everyone, even like people we consider, you know, pillars of society are kind of can, can be scumbags. And the last line is choose your mask. And obviously choose your mask meaning like you, you there, there are plenty of options in this country to be a piece of shit and you can choose any profession, any sort of identity and do that. So, I, I really like the message to that. I I think my favorite song off that album is uh, "Generation Execute." Oh, that's so good. because it's all you know. It don't have a lot of songs about the death penalty. You know, I, I, as far as I can think of. Um, I mean, you have "Ride the Lightning" from Metallica. Yeah, there's a. I don't know if there's a lot of songs, but I I really like that song for for me because the it, it talks about the death penalty, but then like. For me, it's always spoken to America's like odd obsession with just like extreme violence, yeah, and like the need to like see people publicly pay for the line what I love. Done, it's like I went, went to Block Video 
to get a tape of people getting laid. They, they don't sell something like that here. It's a family source here. So I wanted like face eaters of death, but they sold it. They rented it to some kid. Yeah, I love that. Those those are great lines. So I I think that really speaks to what you just said. Yeah. So yeah, that, that so that, that was like one of the big things he was doing throughout the '90s. He was still doing spoken words, but actually, probably towards around this time, that uh, a little bit after Pure Chung Satisfaction was released, uh, that's this has been the bad blood the Dead Kennedys kind of started. This this part, it's all a bunch of he said she said. Um, it sounds like Jell could be in the wrong in quite a bit of this. It, there is a possibility, but according to all the former bandmates of the Dead Kennedys, he was withholding rights to, to the music and the alternative tentacles. Uh, to the catalog, so they, uh, and you know, he was saying no. Uh, it was an accounting issue, and and they they, they uh, go ahead. I'm sorry for for me when I was looking at this, what they uh, were arguing in court. What I understood was that the other band members wanted more songwriting credits. Yeah, they, that was part of it. They wanted more songwriting credits. And then they also said that Jell Biafra wasn't doing enough to promote the music, like reissuing the music. Yeah. And he was withholding uh, money from them. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. I was. Because so that's what I was kind of talking about. And certainly, I, I, I think I remember, and I don't know if this is true. Apparently, both sides did agree that. Um, that the, the withholding of money was an accounting issue, but but they, they were saying, well, but Jelly Biafra, he 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 didn't tell him he didn't tell him on time or something, and you know he he wasn't doing his due part to try to fix it or something like that. But yeah, sir. So, so, but but he did have a pretty good defense. He said that it who it, Biafra? Yeah, Biafra, because the the record label Alternative Tentacles, uh, tentacles he wasn't the one. He wasn't. The like the day to day operator yeah. of it. So so you, it, so it, it wasn't quite his fault. That yeah, no. I guess this happened. I, I, I agree but, with that. Yeah, but yeah, but of course, and there, there's yeah, like you said like there's a lot of questions. Like, did he actually write a lot of the music? Like, his yeah. how much? Is, I think they brought up the fact that he doesn't know how to read sheet music was a, a thing that Jelly Offer spoken about before. They brought up a lot of that. He he kind of countered with stuff like, well, they wanted to use Holiday Cambodia in a Levi's commercial. That's never been confirmed from my knowledge, but that was one of his. It's one of the big things he's talked about because obviously yeah. that would be pr- considering the, the topic of holiday in Cambodia, that would kind of go against putting that in a Levi's commercial. And I mean, in what context does that song fit a Levi's commercial? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like it's, oh, here's a song about the impressive regime of Pol Pot. It's about first world problems and idiot college kids. And, um, it, it and, and again, a lot, a lot of those, you know, East Asian countries, that's where a lot of sweatshops go to. As well, and I don't. I'm sure Levi. I don't. I don't know their whole stats, but I'm sure Levi isn't, you know, innocent from all that. So no. it it's a if it's true, that's a weird thing. So Jell Biafra lost. Um, the the, the court other case. bandmates got Re- more songwriting credits, and they reformed without Biafra. And I think Biafra's yeah. called like the most expensive karaoke band in the world because the greediest. I think it's the, the greediest. Greediest, most expensive. Greediest, yeah, yeah, you're right. The greatest karaoke band in the world, and um, yeah, I I remember <laughs> seeing like the like in my concert feed list that the Dead Kennedys probably was like oh, Dead Kennedys. Oh wait, no, that's three of the Dead Kennedys and some other asshole. I don't know his name. I think they've cycled through like four they ha- additional yeah. singers or something like that. Yeah, that sounds all right. And uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll like advertise with like, like I, at least I know in the early days he had said that they would advertise 
shows with Biafra's face on them. Yeah. And so obviously, yeah. So no, don't, don't go see the dead Kennedys nowadays. There's really no reason. Don't, don't. Don't. Anyways, um, after all this, uh, Jill Biafra ran for president. <laughs> yeah, what Kinda. was it? Two, 2000, he was nominated Nated by the Green Party. Party as a candidate, but obviously Ralph Nader overwhelmingly won that. Yeah. But he, he was way, nominated. Somebody nominated him, so he did pretty well for himself. Yeah. I think he got 10 votes Folks, at the Green Party convention. 10 votes. Most people wanted Ralph Nader. But yeah, that, that, that was, so he did technically run for president once, so, and people still want him to do so. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty, yeah. pretty good. That's funny. Uh, after failing to become leader of the United States of America, he, he, came, he I think he was still doing spoken word, quite a bit of it. And then he yeah. eventually did a short stint with the band, the Melvins. They, they had a short collaboration. They made two albums, actually, and they're both really good. Did you listen to the version of California Uberalis from in the playlist I sent? Was that? It was the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. Oh, no, I didn't get to that one. No. How did okay, I that? so... I'm sure it, I'm sure you can guess now. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California at the time. Yep. Stupid thing. And uh, he did California Uberalis. Hey, don't you talk shit about Arnold. Well, he was a terrible governor. Okay, but... He was a terrible governor. But anyways, but no, uh, he, he essentially, like, kind of did, like, a, a weird, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger version of California Uberalis. It was essentially um redone of it, but... Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger puns and Bush regime... Stuff, yeah, but I think that only lasted for about like one or two years, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, I think Buzz Osborne of the Melvins, he, I, I believe he had said, "Hey, Jello, you need to get your own band. Time to have your own band again." Because he all he'd been doing at this point were collaborations, and he he had lard, but like he but was they like never toured or anything, right? I th- didn't they just do like a handful of shows? The, the stuff lard. I don't know, actually. I, I I never I've never seen any concert footage of them. I've tried to look, so I don't, you might be right on that. Yeah, I thought I read somewhere that they like rarely, if ever, toured. Or yeah, something like that, that. that does sound about right. So he was like, okay, and then he formed this guy. This might be one of the greatest band names I've ever heard in my life, Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine. What do you think of that name? When when I when you had first told me that name, I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And the, that sounds about right well, for the guy. What was the name that of the is. album that uh, I wanted you to listen to? Oh, what was uh, White People and the Damage yes. They've Done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I. I that, yeah, that was that. That's that was. They, so they've had two full lengths. Um, the first being Audacity of Hype. That was two thousand eight. Then uh, 20, 20, 2013 of White People and the Damage Done, and and they had an EP. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, a lot of it was like critique on like critique on the Obama administration, some of that stuff, and uh, like obviously post. Bush yes. issues as well, all that stuff. So, what did you think of the white people and the Damage Done album? I because it's guy that's probably one of his more experimental records he's done because it wasn't just one genre. No, it wasn't one genre, but I what, like Hollywood Goof Disease. That's a really good song, and that one's really good. Uh, for me, it was the lyrics on this album. Oh, they were really because a lot because the 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 um, occupying Wall Street was ha- had just happened. Uh, economic crash as well and of course all the fall because i i think for me this is like jello biafra like his best because like his the lyrics are like a straight hit to the face among his best they're they're just like a straight hit every single time and they're all good like i I was i was listening to this you can almost go like oh my god just wall street you don't need to just let them live at this point just you've 
you beat it, they're already dead. Just yeah, not the, killing them. Like the song John Dillinger. Yeah, it's good. That's a good one. John Dillinger was a bad, bad man. He robbed banks. He had a gang. Not the kind we know today by our presidents. But the crime rate for the airwaves. Yeah, it's a, the lyrics yeah, I, it's about like what like because John was like a gangster from like during the depression and I think this whole point was trying to make they're trying to make public enemy number one just oh some gangster some mobster there's some person you know who's like kind of poor but not like but take the focus away from the real criminals the people who destroyed the economy and did a lot of corruption I love that that's that so jail really of the Anyways, so yeah, that so that was a somewhat brief overview, chronological look of Jellybeoff's career. We could probably go into more detail if we actually had more time, but we've already been talking for too long. Yeah, and he's he's just got like the longest career. Oh, he 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 has honestly, he probably I would argue has the best career of any punk musician. Yeah, because there's nothing that that ever seems stale about no. him, or or like he's just rehashing I, I, something. I am one of those fanboys where I think everything he has touched has been solid. I really am. And speaking of that, we'll talk about one of my favorites, "Last Scream of the Missing Neighbor" by Jella Biafra with DOA. Did you know anything about DOA before listening to this? No. Do you know the singer's name? Nope. Of the band? Nope. Joey's shithead. That's amazing. That's this amazing. That is fantastic. So they're probably, I, I, I said this is probably a safe bet to say they're the, the biggest punk band to come out of Canada. I don't know how much competition there is from that, but yes, they are very so, polite. No, not DOA. <laughs> they're very, uh, yeah. In the sense of DOA, they're very un Canadian. <laughs> yes. But uh, this is probably, probably among the best things DOA ever did, and certainly among the best things that. Uh, Jell Biafra ever did. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this album? It was a lot harder than most of the stuff he's done before. Really? What yeah. Was, what was hard like, about it? Uh, the the music. I think that like, the, do you mean harder as in like hard to listen to, or like just the the music? Sorry. Okay. Like it. Well, what is it, a hardcore? Like it was a hardcore, hardcore. It was, album. It was pretty fuzzy, kind of kind of heavy almost. At yeah. Times. The like the last song on that album full, full metal, metal jack, jack off. off the the like two minute and 30 second intro is a really heavy guitar it almost chugs yeah so it was a much harder album musically but the there was a there's not a low point in the album no i think no, again, I, I would say like we got out of this place. It's kind of slow and sluggish, not in a good because at least with Full Metal Jack off, while it's long and kind of slow, at least it's heavy and it, and, and it varies. Yeah. It is like f- like it's it's four minutes and it's just kind of like I was kind of getting bored by the end of it. But uh, of we gotta get out of this place. But God, everything, every, I love this record. Like, uh, I, God. what what's your favorite part of this record? Oh, well, the lyrics has got to be the best. Like, I love the lyrics to this. I mean, and even in, like, trying to pinpoint my favorite song, it, like, between the first three songs in this album are, would be, which be, that's Progress, which is, that and Full Metal Jackoff are, like, probably the two most famous. So, yeah. I used to air quotes from this album. I love Attack of the Peacekeepers.
That's a good one. That, like, because wow. again, change a few of those words. Because that, that was a lot about like U.S. occupation and you know like its involvement with like so the Cold War and the Soviet Union and whatnot. Change through those words. You can easily make it fit for what we're doing in the Middle East right now. Yeah. And uh, wish I was in El Salvador. Oh, that one. When I was listening to it, I was like, okay, yeah, I know from I like I get it that. You're sort of like anti use of the military and, so, and and like borderline just anti military. I was like, I was like, okay, I get it. And then it just turns into this crazy song about police brutality, where yeah. he sort of like embodies the police and yeah. he's beating people up and the like he's in a police line. Out into this, they hate me. They hate me. I guess I'm gonna have to defend myself now. Yeah, and then they just yeah. you just start shooting. When supposed the cameras go off, we can have a lot of fun or something like that. It's it's I love that song. It's it's great. Uh, yes. but yeah. So, but yeah, you had the lyrics. I, I love attack. I think the tactic. It gets a bit borderline where he kind of blames some of the soldiers sometimes. Which to me, that's when I when like anti-war rhetoric kind of crosses the line for even me. But I, I think the rest of the song was completely on point. Um, yeah, that progress absolutely. is about like you know evictions and you know destroying of old places. Like what was it? Like I think he actually referenced like Colorado in that song. It's like I, I went I went back home to the mountains where I belong, but they've been tamed by the but ski resorts have tamed the wild rest. Yeah, that that's a great line. What 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 was your favorite song on the album? Uh, I I kind of liked Power Is Boring. Pretty good. That was a pretty good song because it was like, oh, if somebody does like ascend to like dictatorial power, they can't really do anything and they can't enjoy it. Oh, that, because that's, I love it because everybody's trying to kill them, and that was something I had never thought I about before. He did makes you, he, he like it's kind of like that, and like oh, like Rage Against Machine can do that sometimes. It gets you thinking about issues you never would have thought of. Yeah, but like that 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 for me it was. That I think it was, was a the, great to song. me. Uh, it was like the the most interesting song because I was like, "Wow, that yeah, That's I guess a, it yeah, would really suck to be a dictator, power. right?" Yeah. See, this is why I love Biafra because it gets you thinking. It really, it's it's like a lot of it's like some humorous shit. Like Buzz Bombs, kind of a humorous song, but it it's st- even within like when you really dig into the lyrics, it will make you think quite a bit. Yes. I I, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm some pretentious douchebag, but no, it's pretty <laughs> clever music. No, it really is. Uh, that was our classic album. That is that was. That last scream of the missing neighbor. What, what 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 do you think of that album title? Last scream of the missing neighbor. It was it was, it was a pretty good title. Yeah. And I mean, like, Here, pretty much every album title that Joe Biafra like shows up on, and there's, it's just all good. It's all clever and so, it's funny. Um, I, I I remember like it was some interview. I think he'd made kind of an offhand comment in an interview, but I think it really stands true. He said, "I never waste." an album title, album cover, song title, band name, whatever, on something that isn't going to shock people and will make them think. That makes sense. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember like someone like in that same interview, he had mentioned like someone came up to him once like, with plastic surgery disasters, why did you do the ET thing with the hand, with the hand? It's like my friend. That's a, that's some like kid in like some African country who hasn't eaten in a while. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I don't know how you thought that was ET, but okay. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Anyways, uh, recommendations. You got any recommendations this week? Uh, my recommendation, you. Why not like oh, they no. are a okay. a pop band called Mike Snow. Contrary to the name, it is not a solo act. It is three people. I think if you look this up, I think they're from Sweden. Yeah, they're Swedish and their last recording was 2016. I like them because they're just enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. It is pure enjoyment. It's pure pop. It's easy to listen to. It is clearly more style over any mm-hmm. sort of substance the lyrics don't make you think about anything they aren't very introspective they're not they're not clever so the opposite of jelly opera so the opposite of jelly opera they are they are good because they're, i can i can listen they're, to them they're lovely they're I lovely can, to listen to yes i can bop around and listen to bop them around. and they make me happy Anyways, okay, sorry, off tangent. My so recommendation. So yours. I, I was actually going to kind of rec- recommend an indie pop kind of group, but like, but then you kind of mentioned it's like, ah, I want to do something different because I realized I haven't recommended any metal Ooh, yet okay. because I love metal. I do love metal music, so I, I do try to kind of keep things, um, like try to try to recommend things that someone may has never listened to before. So hopefully, this kind of falls into that category. Um, I think the band's called the uh, Accuser. And I, they had an album, I think, at the beginning of this year called The Mastery. And some really good, thick kind of thrash metal. Kind of like a more thrashy, kind of sounds more like a th- really, it, it kind of reminds me a lot of like Warbringer. Um, the band, thrash metal band Warbringer. I think they're really good. I think they've actually been around since like the 80s, but I think they really only got big in Germany, I want to say. I could be all wrong on this. Uh, the so- the t- title track on that is what I really like, the song The Mastery. They all, the catacombs for that. Record's good too. So yeah, if you like your very very heavy thrash metal, you'll enjoy this album. I think that's our episode. We've been recording for too long. I got to get going. So let's leave it there. Goodbye, all listeners. And we will be coming back Sunday. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we will be having a guest from our editorial staff. Uh, no, uh, Melissa Frick. She's a 
reporter on uh, oh, uni- she, was- University. De- no, oh, she, she's, she's a reporter on University. Sorry. Yes, and Sorry, I believe you'll be talking about the Strokes. So look forward to that next week. Okay. Have a wonderful day, everyone, and I don't know. Live your life. Down, but somebody-